I got it. 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 Oh, 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 wow. We got a lot of things going on. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you from. Now, let me, let me explain something. It's explain it. important that you understand this. I always, whenever I go speak somewhere, I tell people, listen, I, I, have to, um, I have to tell you how I want to be introduced. <laughs> I'm not from Texas. I live in Texas. It's different. Let me explain to you how different it works. Let me explain how this works. So um, when we first got there, you know, I'd done some speaking in, in the church there, and they asked me one Sunday, right before church, hey, can you, do, can you close out the service, you know? So, sure. And so the brother gets up to do the welcome. And you get 300 people, right? And he gets up to do the welcome, and he says, God's grace is like a Gatorade bath. After, like when we win the Super Bowl. Nice. <laughs> and I thought to myself, bro, that was the wrong thing to say. So I got up and I said, okay, at the end, I said, very seriously, I need to explain something to you that Mike said at the opening that most of you probably didn't understand. Uh-oh. When you win the Super Bowl, And being from New England, I understand how this works. When you win the Super Bowl, they they take Gatorade, which probably wasn't invented by the last time you guys won the Super Bowl, and they pour it on the winner. I had two brothers come up to me after church and go, two Cowboys fans said, yeah, that was funny. That was funny. You know, it's interesting this morning, uh, the title of this day is this, you know, this beginning is This is My Church. And so the title of my lesson is This is My Church. And weirdly, I didn't get this from, from Glenn. It's a little, I, there have been a couple things that happened this morning, I'm like, all right, this is getting really interesting because you'll see as we go along. So I'm going to share a story with you. In 2017, the state of Virginia had an election for its House of Representatives, the state house. An election between one Republican and one Democrat. And after all the votes were counted, each person running got 11,608 votes. Nice. So they had a recount, and it came out exactly the same. Now, the interesting, one of the things that made this election more significant than you would expect is that this election was going to decide which party controlled the House in the state of Virginia. And that election was decided by picking a name out of a fishbowl. Yes, actually. You can look it up. Don't, later, later. Look it up later. Now I have to ask you a question. How would you like to be the people who didn't vote? Imagine for a moment if you personally, somehow, you, it's a small district, right? And you happen to have, in your lifetime, happen to know and have worked with both candidates. 
And and you know, you know from working with both of them, well, one of them is great and one of us. Eh. But Jesus is like, ah, eh, my vote. Eh. What's it really matter, right? That one person. One person would have changed the outcome of that election, potentially, by one vote. You know, one of the great challenges we face in our lives, in our schools, in our churches, and in our country is apathy. A lack of caring or interest or enthusiasm or concern that, you know, this doesn't really apply to me, so I, I really don't care about that. It doesn't affect me, it doesn't affect my life, so I don't care. Now, now that's not how we feel about our sports teams. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you think about, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan. I hired this brother, uh, Ben Bouchard, who was in the team ministry, in the campus ministry in, in the Boston area. And um, we usually start a fair number of days about what happened the previous night in the sports world. We talk a lot about that, right? And so, um, I'm a big sports fan, but you know, sometimes it hits me, how much time this year did I spend watching football? How much time this year did I spend checking the four, my four fantasy football teams? How much time this year? I mean, all this stuff, and you think, at the end of the day, it's kind of nothing, right? I'm not apathetic about those things. If the Pats lose today, I'm not going to be apathetic. But somehow, for, for us, we get that way. Now, I want to ask you a question. How about in the church? Do we get apathetic? Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This is one of my... For some reason, you'll probably figure it out really quickly. This is one of my favorite things that happened in the Bible. You'll see why. Starting in verse 11. Point number one. Care enough to say something. Galatians chapter 2. He said, when, when Cephas, or when Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, well, that means before certain men came from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. He's like, I'm a Jew, but I'm hanging out with the Gentiles. It's cool. But when they came, when the other Jewish Christians showed up, he's like, this is not going to look good. And he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing the Jews, the Jewish Christians. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, Paul's traveling companion, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And he goes on on this long soliloquy about Peter. What are you doing? And he does it in front of everyone. Paul saw Peter doing something horribly wrong that would really hurt the church. He said, well, he should have taken him aside. Well, you see, the problem was is that everybody knew who Peter was. Everybody knew the example he was setting. And everybody saw it. 
especially the, the, uh, the Gentiles. And, this, and Paul knew this was going to sow division in his church. And he called them out right in front of everybody. To, the, to Peter and Paul, when they were there, this church was family. Was this the right thing to do? Would you do this? You know, I think that a lot of times in church and for the sake of whatever, um, unity and peace and whatnot, we're just, and I see this more, I'm not, New Englanders, you know how we are, right? We're, we're more willing to say something. Texas, people are nice. <laughs> right, before I moved, right before I moved to Texas, a month before I moved there, my son, who lives in Texas and has been in, is in the ministry there, calls me up and he said, Dad, I need to talk to you. Very serious, right? Very serious. Okay, what's going on? You know, when you move here, you can't talk to people the way you normally talk to people. They won't, they won't understand. They just, they won't. It's all right. I'll be cool. Two months. Fine. One month. That's all I could do. There were times, I mean, I, I swear my tongue was bleeding and I had been biting it so hard. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why did you say that? Well, I mean, seriously, I hear things like, why? Is that really what you think? I mean, and, and, I, and I started asking questions and, and, um, I waited a month. <laughs> Come on. But I look at Paul. I, I look at these, these people. Paul said, this is my church too. Amen. Yeah. And the thing that I'm going to try to get across to you today, yes, this is Jesus' church. Mm-hmm. But it's my church. Right. It's your church. Yeah. Right. It's your church. And in that way, you have to have that kind of care and concern that Paul was willing to stand up and confront the whole group and confront Peter and the whole group and say, this is wrong. You know, in case you haven't been paying attention lately, um, um, maybe some of you haven't, but most of you probably have, our country is in a bit of a mess. Maybe you've noticed. Just a little bit, right? But you know, I think... um, for some of us, we think, you know, this doesn't really involve me. It's no big deal. So I don't care. How many of our brothers and sisters are affected by things that are going on in our country? How many of our neighbors are affected by things that are going on in our country? Have you asked them how you're feeling? What do you think about what's going on? Are you okay? There's a... Um, brother that I've gotten close to, Nelson. He's a black brother from St. Louis. Been a Christian uh, uh, 30 years. Right? And uh, we're close friends, and one night we're hanging out, as we often do, watching a game and having a good time. And uh, I, asked, I turned to him one time and I said, what was it like growing up black in St. Louis? Have you ever been pulled over for DWB? Driving while black. And he opened up and, and shared and, and talked about it. And because I want to know, 
I want to, I know I have my perspective, right? I have mine, but that's the only one I have if I don't ask somebody what their perspective is. And he comes from a, he's my brother in Christ and he's my, and he's my friend. I want to know how these things that are going on make him feel. I may be going, oh, it doesn't matter to me. And he may be dying inside and thinking about all the things that happened to him in his past. We may have friends, people in church, our neighbors, our classmates that are, that are, that are really struggling. Do we care? Are we, do we care enough to say, this is my church. I care about how this affects you too. In Romans 15, in verse 9, it says the following. This is what we're called to be as Christians. When you get to the end of the book and you see, when you get to the end of one of the, the books in the Bible, and you see like this, this long list of, these are the things where, the, after we've, we've been convinced yeah. that we're Christians, and that we've become Christians because of the grace of God, we get the to-do list. The good thing about Christianity is you don't get the to-do list first. Amen. I was studying the Bible with a guy in New Hampshire once, and he kept going, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this to be saved, right? No. Those are the things you do afterwards. The first thing that you have to do is accept the fact that God is forgiving you, not because of what you can do for him. But afterwards, we respond. And he says in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Love that word. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do we abhor what is evil only if it happens to us or to our family? Do we abhor it when it happens to our friends? When it happens to our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates? Do we only mourn or weep at funerals? You know, we need to show care for everyone. Those in the church and those outside of it. Our country, our cities are in pain. There's uncertainty and turmoil and craziness. And just because you may not feel any of it doesn't mean it isn't at all around you. You see... It's my church too. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people should be treated that way in my church. How about you? Mm-hmm. You got to care enough to say something. You got to care enough to speak up. Nelson was shocked and thankful that I asked him. And I wanted to hear. I travel a lot, and I'm always talking, sitting people next to people on the plane. I'm like, so, tell me about, they'll be from some other country. And if you're from southern of the country and you're sitting next to the plane to me, you're going to get lots of questions. What's this like? What's that? Like, how do you look at this? I remember sitting next to one of this, this guy who was living in Israel. Uh, from, he grew up in Boston, living in Israel. And I, you know, after we were getting ready to land, we were flying from Denver to Boston, the flight attendant came up to us and said, you are like two old women. <laughs> what she said we talked for four hours 
I asked him, well, how do you look at the, when you look at the Bible, when you look at Jesus, or when you look at, or when you look at the Old Testament, tell me how you, you view this. Because I know how I view it as a Christian. How do you view it? And we, oh, we talked about everything. <laughs> By the end, he gave me a hug. We became friends on Facebook. We communicate once in a while. Seriously. It's like I built a best friend in you know, a couple of hours, and, and just how it goes. Care enough to say something. Point number two, care enough to do something. Come on, bro. Okay. What Glenn said earlier, this is just weird. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I have never mentioned, I'm pretty sure that in my 34 plus years of being a Christian, almost 35 now, that I have never mentioned Tabitha in a sermon, and I have it in my notes. I, I, I was like, you, I couldn't believe you did that. I'm like, are you kidding me? And no, he hasn't seen them. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. You know, sometimes we look at, Pat, you know, one of the things that I like to do with the Bible is I like to take a passage of Scripture that we know, we've read a bunch of times, and go, all right, how about this? Let's write a screenplay. Let's write a screenplay where we have to, we have to, we have to act this out. Let's try that. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas, and we understand why she went with Tabitha. <laughs> she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. That was very customary. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that all right, Tabitha made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body he said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her her his hand and he raised her up and then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one uh, with one Simon a tanner all right so Tabitha is this amazing woman who was known for doing good works. And the church there loved her. The church in Joppa loved her. But she got sick and died. You know, i got to believe in the early church with lack of medicine and lots of poor people, this probably happened a fair amount. This was not unusual in the church, right? But they hear that Peter is in this other town called Lydda. And I looked it up. Lydda is 16 miles away from Joppa. Okay. 20 minute, 25 minute ride in the car, right? Not so much if you're going on foot. Someone must have heard about the healing that he had done earlier in chapter 9 with Aeneas. And they decided they could get him to do the same for Tabitha. If, if it, okay, first of all, who does that? Who thinks about, hey, you know what? I heard that Peter heals. Let's get Peter up here. Wait, wait a minute. How does that conversation begin? Yeah. Does anyone think, you know, Peter's like an apostle and he's kind of busy? What makes you think that we can get him to come here? 
And, and these people loved her so much and cared for her so much because what she had done simply for them by just making them things, daily things. So it says they send two men. Now, I can tell you for sure, not even looking at the Greek language, what, it, what they really should have said, the women sent the two men. <laughs> they said, you guys are going now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, you, know, you know that's what happened, right? right. <laughs> so the two guys are like, okay, we're going to start walking. And they start walking. And it's, what, 16 miles? And it's not like walking the city streets necessarily. You know, paths and... Gonna worry about the robbers and all that kind of stuff, and it's probably what? How long? How far? How long is it gonna take you to get there? Five hours? Six out? Four hours? And a good four-mile clip is a pretty good walk. Five, maybe six? Six hours? And they get there, and they say they walk up to Peter. Say, Peter, Peter, you gotta come with us, please, right now. It's only sixteen miles. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And he did. And he raised it from the dead, and they were all happy. And they, they went out. I mean, it was just a crazy idea. But they did it because they loved their sister, Tabitha, so much. And why did they love her? They loved her because she was so good to them. They didn't want to lose her. She was such an integral part of the church. And when we moved to Dallas in 2016, we were told, I love this one, We were told uh, that uh, there are a lot of people in the church just like us. Work for the church, empty nesters, been Christians a long time, and there are. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. I remember Todd Assad, the church leader, I met him at a conference a year before and talked to him about us moving to Dallas. And he says, oh, we have a lot of people like you. And I went, yeah, okay, we'll see. You know, but something interesting is, something interesting, when we got there, we're like, okay, we're not just going to, because I think a lot of people go to Dallas, and they, you know, they're hanging with their grandkids, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're really busy, and they're just kind of attending church there. They're a member there, certainly, but they're kind of, it's kind of attending church. My wife decided that wasn't good enough. Well, she got there, and she got involved. Amen. She volunteered a contribution on Sunday, because they needed contribution counters, and She'd done that before and been on the board of directors in New Hampshire. And so she started, she volunteered. She volunteered to help start hope programs there and work with the, with the established hope board and help the hope organization and publicize and move forward and gather volunteers and all that kind of stuff. And it was funny. One of the sisters came up to her recently and said, you guys are, you see, most people here, they just move here. You, you didn't just move here. You decided to really be actively involved. You see, it's her church too. She did something. You know, if you've been around a long time, this is my April 15th tax day. Church administrator, tax day. It makes sense, right? April 15th tax day is my 35th spiritual birthday. You know, you've been around a long time. You want to know how you've been around a long time? On Sunday, we appointed a new elder. Uh, the church appointed a new elder in, in Dallas, and uh, they, and, you know, they get up and announce, introduce them. They've been married for 30 years. They just celebrated the 30th anniversary, and we just celebrated our 35th anniversary. If they're appointing elders that have been married five years less than you, you're old. <laughs> That's how you know. 
You know, we've been around a long time, and if for those of us who have been around a long time, we've done pretty much everything. I remember in 2003, when I got out of the ministry, there was something that I had never done. I had never, ever, ever served in Kids' Kingdom. So the first thing I did was volunteer for Kids' Kingdom. I said, well, I don't have any responsibilities here anymore. Might as well stay and serve in Kids' Kingdom. You've served in every capacity. I remember when I moved to New Hampshire. Bob Howell. How many of you know who Bob Howell is in New Hampshire? I'm going to rat out Bob Howell. Bob Howell asked me if I would help him count contributions. I said, sure. And I hadn't told anybody about my, I didn't tell anybody my church resume. And so Bob starts, he said, I've got to teach you how to count contribution. I was the administrator for the San Diego Church, the financial administrator for San Diego Church. When we moved to LA in 1991, they didn't have count teams. I was the one who wrote the procedures for the LA church for count teams, the first one that they ever had. And Bob Howell's going to teach me how to count contribution. I said, Bob, I know how to do this. No, no, no. Bob, I, no, no, I have to show you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but you know, we've done all that, right? I mean, if you've been around a long time, you've done all that. But, but it's still your church. Amen. I've had people say, listen, I don't need to serve in kids' kingdom anymore because my kids aren't at that stage in life anymore. Okay. I don't understand. Is this still your church or not? It, you know, we're not just, that would be selfish, right? That you're only serving if your kids, I don't understand that. That just ain't right. It's like, well, I don't want to pay for schools. And I've seen this in New Hampshire. I don't want to pay for schools because I don't have kids in school anymore. But people paid, when, nah, never mind. Care enough to do something. Amen. Get involved. There's plenty to do. Plenty to do in the church, right? Does anybody, any of the people who run parts of the church, anybody need help with anything? Can you, you're looking for any extra volunteers? There's a whole room of volunteers right here. Care enough to do something. Point number three, care enough to give sacrificially. You knew we were covering this. And yes, Jesse, I do care more that Jesus' words will never die than I do about contribution. <laughs> Amen. Rule of thumb, Jesse. Let me help you out with something. <laughs> never, never say something bad about the person who's speaking after you. <laughs> never. I'm going to go easy on you this time. Don't ever do it. Otherwise, otherwise. Oof. It wasn't planned. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Jesse? That's usually where I get in trouble, too. You know what? Uh, all the time. But you, I, I, oh, that's where I get in trouble. If I had thought about this for a minute, I'd have never... You're like, why did I say that? I said something not too long ago in the Wichita church, and one of the brothers called me and said, I can't believe you said that. And I was like, what idiot? Oh, that was me. Luke 21. Now, this again, this is one of those passages... I like looking at passages again and saying... What do we not know in this passage that we should know? Luke 21. It's the widow and two copper coins. Come on. Come on, widow. Luke 21. Jesus looked up, sitting there in the temple. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small, small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all, the, all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 
Two copper coins. Copper coin is about 128, 1 128th of a denarius. What denarius was a day wa day's wage. So I calculated that in today's money, two copper coins is about three bucks. All she had to live on. And Jesus made an example of her that, would, that we're still talking about some 2,000 years later. But the question is this. Why did she do it? Well, she could love God. Yeah, but think about it for a minute. From a, point of, from a financial point of view, with people putting in for their, from their wealth, this $3 wasn't much, right? It wasn't going to make a difference. I think the reason that she did it is because it was her temple too. And she, like everybody else, wanted to be a part of it. So she gave whatever she could. And to her, it made a difference. This is where we talk about the fun part. We have a challenge here in Portland, Portland and, and, and Glenn talked about it at the beginning, and I'm going to talk about it more at length. I not only serve as your administrator, but I also administer the funds that the supported ministries in New England receive. So there are three, there used to be four different churches that received funds uh, the Providence Church, the Stores Connecticut Group, the Portland Church, and the Burlington Church. But the Burlington Church is now self supporting. Woohoo! So now there were three, Providence, Stores, and Portland. Now Stores, Hartford has agreed to take over the entire support of Stores starting in 2021. That's cool. In 2019, Portland is due to receive $55,000 in support out from outside of Portland. $10,000 less than last year. $40,000 coming from the European Mission Society and the contribution that we give. And 15,000 coming from the, the north regions. Is that right? Is it the north? The north regions of the Boston Church specifically. They're going to give one extra multiple, and they gave roughly $15,000 last year. So $10,000, that hurts. For a church of 71 people, it hurts. But for, you know, somebody thought, I wonder how much the Portland Church has received from, for outside funds. And so I thought, well, where would I find that? Oh, wait, I have that information. <laughs> so I, last night I looked it up. I calculated that the, I think you should know that the Portland Church has received outside support of somewhat over north of $850,000. And mind you, that's $850,000 that people who gave of to their own church gave so there could be a church here in Portland. And they're already giving somewhere else to support their own local congregation. But they've also given to support you. And for that, I can honestly say for that, without equivocation, that you should be eternally grateful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And there's no way that you can ever go back and thank those people. The only thing you can do is be grateful. Mm -hmm. But now that support is being reduced. And the plan is to reduce it further so that support can go to new churches. The next planting, I think, I'm hearing, the Lemonster, Lemonster Fitchburg area of Massachusetts is the next place. And the, the Worcester Church, where I'm going on Wednesday, is in the process of putting together, basically, they're going to move out $1,300 a week of their contribution to support that church. They're going to lop off a piece of their church 
and, and use that as the seed. Those people and their contribution are going to be the seed to plant that church in Lemonster, Fitchburg. That's generous. That's, you know, that's a good portion of their church. So, it's time for you to start strongly thinking about becoming self-supporting, and it's because this is your church. And um, who is it that was it? Je- was it Jesse? Did you say it? No, you said it, right? No, was it Glenn who said it? Um, your parents are always supporting you, right? Is that what you said? That right? Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, that is true in a lot of cases. Come see me afterwards, and I'll tell you all about it. So I'm going to put it. I'm going to frame. I'm going to put it in a in a way that Jesse will understand. It's time to move out of your parents' basement. Okay. All right. Let's see what we got. Okay. All right. So first things. I'm going to get, I'm going to switch. I'll come back. I'll go back and forth. So in 2018, the church gave $1,575 per week on average. In 2019, we need $2,400 a week. We just do. (laughs) I always get to do the fun stuff. Here's the challenge. Presently, the church gives $22 a member. That is very low for a church of your composition. 17% 17% of the church is campus and teen. And for the sake, I, and again, it was late last night and I was putting this together. I, I was just trying to, I, I get these things in my head and I had to get them on paper and I came up with this idea. For the sake of comparison, stores is 50% campus and teens and they give roughly the same amount per member. Give an idea. Okay? So, now, what I did was I said, well, how, how do you, okay, so... One of the things that is popular in telling the churches they need to give more is telling everybody to give, you need to give more than, you know, $5 a week more. And you need to figure, just you give, everybody give $5 a week more and that'll, that'll solve all of your problems. I think, I hate that. <laughs> I do. Because it's like, well, what is that? Yeah. So, I do it this way. Right now in the Portland church, you have eight people averaging eight, $85 a person. That's good. That's really good. So let's take them out. Let's take the campus and teens out. And what I calculated is roughly 51 members of the Portland church are giving an average of $17 a person. It's just math. Now, what if... We said, well, how do we spend our money? Let me show you. So this is how we spend our money. Big, look at that, look at that, look at that big thing over there, right? Look at that, 76%. We spend 76% of our monies on staffing here. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm gonna tell you how I feel about that. This is, this is the way we operate our churches and our fellowship. In a larger church that was fully supported, that number would be 60% roughly. Okay? And the reason we, let me tell you why we do that. We do that because we feel that the best way to, to, to advance the gospel and to get more people to know about Jesus is to have people do it. We find that people are doing it is better than a building doing it. Mm-hmm. Buildings don't really advance the gospel very much. They're not very evangelistic. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, so, so we put that money into people. And honestly, if we get more money, we're going to put it into more people. That's what we do. 
That's what we believe as a church. I, again, plane flight. I was, I was flying home and I was sitting next to this woman. Turned out that she was the fundraiser for all the Jewish synagogues in Boston. That was her job. And so, and they, that's how they, they, they have to fundraise in order to keep those places open. And they just had to close one. This was a couple years ago. And so I told her what I did, and I explained to her that this is kind of what we do for our budget. She lost her mind. She needed to be restrained. She was so giddy. That is so awesome. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. You should be doing that. Don't put... I mean, she's a woman who raises money for buildings, and she said, don't put your money into buildings. That's what she does for a living. She's just dumb, but this is what I do. Because we believe... That the more and more people we can raise up and get in the ministry who can devote themselves full time to advancing the gospel and studying the Bible with people and training other people, the more the church grows. Now, this is a little out of skew because of the size, because of the way our finances are structured and because of the size of your church. But as the church grows, that percentage will go down and more money will go into ministries and to benevolence and so forth. So about uh, 7%, well, what's the ministry's number? About 7% into ministries, about 6% into buildings? Um, hi, Sherry. <laughs> Sherry and I are email friends. I send Sherry notices saying, Sherry, um, if I could pay your bills if you would send them to me. Is that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Sherry, I want to talk to you afterwards because it's not just here. Everywhere, every church I work with, everywhere, I have to beg schools for invoices. I have to beg them. It's like I, I found out, like in one of my schools, I hadn't paid them for a year. We owed them $15,000 and pay them. I pay invoices. You got to send me. So I thought, can you, seriously, I'm calling them up at the end of the year. Can you send us an invoice, like for the whole year? We'll pay you. <laughs> no, you're not. No, 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 no. Well, I think the church is more on her mind now, so we get invoices. But it's crazy. It's like, you know, Dover schools. You didn't pay us. We get these third notices. You're like, yeah, we paid that. No, no. Actually, you never sent us the first two notices. This is the first one. But it's so, so the idea being here is that this, is, this isn't bad. This is great. This is what we want to do. We want to put all of our money into people and into ministries and into programs, but really into people so that grows the church and helps people know Jesus. That's what we, that's what we do. So, is there anything on the next page? Oh, look, that's our family. That's our family. That's our, uh, let's see, we got, uh, oh, where are they? That's the, she just turned two, that's Penny. Uh, this is uh, Holly here, she'll be six next month. Jilly's four, that's my son Jeff and his wife Kelly, and that's my daughter Allison and her husband John, and that beautiful woman there, oops, sorry, that beautiful woman right there is my wife, Laura, 35 years she's put up with me. Um, but, so how are we going to do this? How do we make this work? So let me be honest with you. I, I look at numbers all day long. I have 40 churches, and this is my life's work. And the simplest way I can tell it to you is this. The group of 51 needs to double their contribution. That gets you there. You know, sometimes you... Uh, I always tell people two things. One, don't forget that the words today of the speaker are not necessarily the words of the church leadership. So take that in mind when you hear me speak. And secondly, I'm always the one, I'm, don't kill the messenger, okay? Don't, ever, don't do that. You know, if somebody, so here's the thing though. If somebody walked in today, or, you know, somebody stepped up and says, you know what, I'm gonna give the whole thing this year. I'm gonna, write a I'm gonna write a check for the whole amount. We have people in fellowships that do that. I know it sounds crazy, but they do it. I had a few of them do it at the end of the year, this year. It's really bizarre. 
You're doing what? Okay, thank you very much. This is really great. People do that. I don't think that's best for you. I think it's best that as a family, as a church, that you find a way to make this work. Because it's your church, too. You see, the widow, it was her temple. And she was giving. And I know it's difficult, and I know it's hard, and I have no idea what your financial situation is. I don't. But this is how we're going to make it work. Now, if the people who are giving at the high side want to give more, no one will stop you. We usually take your money pretty much for any reason. (laughs) And the, the campus students and the teens, if you're not giving... Again, I think that everyone should give, even, even those who have very little, because, again, it's like the widow. It's, yeah. I, it's my church, too. Right? Yeah. right? That's, right. That's why it's important. That's why we teach our children to give, because it's their church, too. Right. Yeah. But this is the way it's going to work. Listen, uh, I, I looked right before I came up, Maine, one population, almost 1.4 million now. Wow. Bigger than a Hampshire, I think, right? Like, that's a shock. People are moving into Maine. They're not moving into New Hampshire. They haven't been for quite a while, actually, interestingly enough. Um, but I don't live there. People moving into um, Dallas is supposed to grow by a million people in the next 10 years. We moved into the boonies. We built a house out in the boonies. And, and now the boonies, is, everybody's coming. We, just, we built there because we knew they're, gonna, they're coming. We'll be in the middle of the city soon. It's moving. It's moving. It's seriously. It, it's just, so we moved into a complex for eight, with 800 homes, right? Now they're building 2,000 homes, and they're building 3,000 homes across the street. That's what, I mean, you know, that's what it's like. That's what growth is like. But Portland and Maine is growing too. Portland's a great city. But the way, but you have to decide, the church has to decide what it's going to do. The only way this church keeps going and growing is if this church, it, with one, it's with God's help, and two, it's with your decision. So this morning, it's my church, and it's yours too. Amen. And let's remember that as we make decisions about our lives that, yes, when it's all said and done, yeah, this is my church. And so I step up, and I have an opinion. Laura steps up, and she does. She does. She's like, this is my church. I'm involved. Don't be, don't fall into the trap, especially as we get older. It's like, you know, I'm just, I've been, I've given a lot and I've done a lot. I'm just going to be cool. I'm just going to sit in the back. I can't do that. I just, I'm not wired that way. And I'm prayerfully, you're not either. But thank you so much. Appreciate being with you. Have a great rest of the day. Go Pats.